Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, patients, families, colleagues, and curious folk to the PM&R Report. Our podcast is brought to you by the University of Texas at Houston in conjunction with McGovern Medical School and TIRR Memorial Hermann Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation. We bring you another segment of medical explanation, reviews of current literature, expert opinions, debates, and just plain interesting stuffs. All right, my name is Saleh Sheikh. I'm a UT Houston PMNR resident, PGY3. I'm here with Dr. Katherine Powers James. Thank you for being here with us. Why don't you uh, introduce yourself and uh, tell us a little bit about what you do and uh, what you talked about in the grand rounds. Sure. First of all, I want to thank you for having me here today. Uh, my name is Katherine Powers James, and I am a psychologist in the integrative medicine program at MD Anderson. And I work with patients uh, who are currently undergoing some um, process of cancer therapy, after treatment, some, anywhere in that spectrum of cancer care. And a lot of times what I do is we focus on behavioral change to make sure that our patients are living the healthiest lifestyle that they're able to. All right. All right. And, and also I want to add to the motivational interviewing is one technique that we often use to help pa guide patients through that behavioral change. So uh, briefly, uh, how would you describe motivational interviewing? So what motivational interviewing is, is instead of a provider coming and imparting their expertise onto patients, what we do instead is try to help patients come up for their own reasons, their own motivation, if you will, for change. Because it's a lot more powerful when they're able to come up with reasons than when we just tell them that they need to. Absolutely, yes. So how does somebody usually end up uh, walking through your door um, needing your services? Uh, so it, it's um, kind of a, a complex way. Um, people get routed different ways, but typically they have a consult into the integrative medicine clinic and they are seen one uh, by either one of our MDs or advanced practice um, providers. And based on that consult and what the patient's presenting with, whether they want to work on health style changes um, or if they're experiencing stress, anxiety, depression related to their cancer, they might be referred to me or my colleague, Dr. Amy Christie. Um, and then the MD APP would send them to us and that's when we would begin um, therapy with them. Okay, okay. And are most of your patients' needs uh, cancer-related or do you see um, other non-cancer lifestyle, weight loss type of uh, patients? So they usually come to me for cancer-related reasons. However, what we know is the healthier our patients are, it not only decreases their chance of reoccurrence, developing another cancer, but, you know, this dealing with their own treatments in general, because we want to get them as healthy as possible, especially if they have some difficult treatments coming up. So they might enter into my room because of cancer related issues, but they can stick around for many different reasons. And one of the big ones is lifestyle change. I see. I see. All right. Um, in the uh, talk you gave, 
mentioned a an acronym, the SMART Goal Tool. Mm -hmm. Would you explain that uh, to our listeners and then we can discuss it further? So it's actually a kind of a neat thing. It seems simple, but it's harder. A lot of times when we ask, we try to come up with goals, we'll say things with my patients the other day, I was running a group, in fact, and we were coming up with goals. And one of my patients said, well, I want to be healthier. Well, what does that mean? I mean, how, how do we work towards that? So what we want to do is come up and like you said, we use the acronym SMART. So we start with something that's very specific to be able to reach that ultimate goal of being healthier. We want something specific, measurable, attainable, and um, relevant, and also time sensitive. So what could be, what starts with, okay, I want to be healthier can change to something like, I'm going to go to the gym twice a week and do the elliptical for 20 minutes each time um, over the next week. So that certainly is something that is specific. We know going to the gym, elliptical machine, um, it's measurable. So we have the gym, 20 minutes, elliptical machine. So we know whether or not they did that. Attainable, I mean, hopefully for that person who's coming up with it is something that they think that they can. Um, we don't want them to overshoot and then set them up for failure. So we also need to guide them through that to make sure it is a realistic goal and they're not um, shooting for something that they're just going to end up not being able to do. The time specific too, you know, in the next month. So anyone can come in and observe that person and determine whether or not they met that goal. As opposed to, I to be healthier, you know, when would we go measure that? How would we measure that? There is not very specific. So we find we're uh, a lot better at reaching our overarching goal of being healthier. These lifestyle changes when we make these SMART goals. And this certainly for whether it be you know, patients, providers, we all can benefit in making these smart goals. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, uh, I guess I will be asking about weight loss goals specifically. Um, what would you say are the most common barriers that you've seen, um, to patients changing with weight loss or, or just lifestyle modification in general? Yeah. I mean, there, there's certainly a lot of barriers. Um, there's stress. There's a lot of people talking about at the end of the day, they just, they're too overwhelmed by everything that's going on in their life. And the last thing they want to do is go and exercise. Or a lot of times what we do when we're stressed out, we uh, seek certain types of foods. I know personally when I'm stressed out, I don't reach for the broccoli. <laughs> I think it's a very rare individual that does. We look for the, the carbs, we look for the sweets, we look for the salty food when we're feeling down. Um, so this can certainly become a barrier. What we also know is a lot of times, which is kind of counterintuitive, but we talk about how we're too tired to exercise. And what we know is exercise can actually help with energy, it can help with fatigue, but in the moment we're just exhausted. And then also, you know, we, we like our Netflix. Um, we like these different things and it can be certainly be a barrier. Um, so there, there's lots of things going on. And I think recently the biggest barrier for a lot of us has been COVID-19 pandemic, that gyms shut down. We're afraid of going in groups. We're trying to do these things. You know, even especially early on, going to the grocery store was very difficult. We didn't have all these foods that are healthy foods at our fingertips. When you're stocking up at that one grocery store trip, you can't just stock up on fresh fruits and vegetables. So that also presented a more recent challenge that we've had to discuss with patients. Yes, yes, I I can uh, relate to a lot of that. I know I did. <laughs> As can I. I know that my clothes certainly got more snug <laughs> during the pandemic. 
Yes, mine too, mine too. Um, all right, so without going into all the, I guess, stages of change, um, if you were to take kind of a global view of all your patients and take a cross-section of the moment right before sustainable change happens, how would you describe, how would you generally describe this uh, this person, this patient in terms of their behavior, the way they talk and their motivation? What, what does it look like right before change happens? So it's interesting because you almost see like a light bulb moment for people. There's usually a lot of times there's some sort of event that happens in their life. Either you pull it out from them by these conversations or something might happen to them. So, um, I, you know, I heard of this, this one story about a gentleman who was smoking. He went to his doctor, his doctor gave him, you know, all the risks of smoking and lung cancer and all these other health things. And he's like, yeah, 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 I know I need to quit smoking. So then he goes and he is going to pick up his son and it starts to rain and he realizes he's out of cigarettes and he drives past his son to go get cigarettes and he sees his son at the corner of his eyes waiting in the rain because he saw his father's car come by and at that moment he realized i have to quit i need to put my family first so it wasn't the, the health risks it was the family which i think is a, a driving factor for a lot of my patients um also for a lot of my patients cancer certainly um, is a scary thing that they're undergoing so they and they, they feel like there's a lack of control and this is one thing that they do have control over they can control their steps for the day to some degree. Um, they can control what they put in their body. So it's it's kind of like this light bulb moment that you almost see the shift once they're able to bring up something. And as they're talking about it, it's just you can see they have that aha moment. Wow, that's something in my life. That's a value I have. And there's a dissonance between what I'm doing and what I want in my life. And then once you see that moment happen, it's a really cool shift that then you see the the, the changes that follow. Do, do you often find that um, uh, patients acquire this purpose uh, not so much for their own benefit? It's it's for uh, to be there for their kids, to be there for you know other other loved ones. No, uh, very often I think the power of those around them it certainly can be a motivating factor. Um, especially with, uh, you know, parents of young children, um, even parents of older children that want to see their grandchildren, want to play, want to do this. Um, family is certainly not the only motivator. I know a lot of people who talk about, well, I want to travel. I want to go, you know, having cancer has made me look at my life differently. And I want to be able to live my life to the fullest. I want to be able to travel and see the world. And I can't do that in my current state, at least not the way I want to. So it's usually some sort of value that goes beyond just the tests that we're running, the blood pressure, the cholesterol, those type of things. Um, the number on the scale doesn't really matter as much to them. It's more about being able to feel their best. And once you tackle why they want to feel the best, a lot of times family is a motivator. It's a huge motivator, but plenty of times I have patients with a little family and they have some other motivator too, whether it be, you know, traveling or, um, going and doing exercises or going out with friends or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. All right. <clears throat> what would you say are uh, the most useful one line prompts mm. in each stage of uh, motivational interviewing? 
Um, so, so with the different stages, the first one that you want to do is where you are gaining like rapport. So at that point, I, I don't know if there's specific one liners, except letting them know that you're heard or that they're heard. So you really want to be able to reflect. So this one liners might, it depends on what the person's saying. What you want to do is be very active listening to what they're saying and try to pull out one of the most powerful things. So just like we were talking about family, saying something in this early stage is like, wow, I hear that family really matters to you. And then that might be enough to, you know, hearing back what they're saying. So kind of being like this mirror to them can be really powerful. And that's going to depend based on whatever um, they're presenting you with. So that one liner, your goal for that one is to really hear what you think might be of value to them. And that rapport is really important to be able to truly empathize with them. So you understand where that one liner is. Um, and the future stages, you know, with we, we have like the focusing um, stage, trying to come up with something that you want to concentrate on. And so, so that is listening to them talk and try to really determine what is it that they want to do with their lifestyle change. Is it that they want to be able to walk more so they can go to the fair with their grandchild? Um, so trying to really listen again and hear what specific target behavior they want to focus on changing. So that's probably the focusing one. Um, when you, you want to evoke them, so that's the change talk. That's another one. It's going to depend on what they're sharing with you, um, but you really want to get them to do different change talks. So when you hear them using change talk, and that can be through different methods. Um, so if you're using the decisional balance um, worksheet, you know, that last box, how will your life look different in five years? Should you change? Whatever they say to that, that might be something really good to repeat back to them, to really emphasize. Um, and then the last one, the, the planning, making sure that you're emphasizing whatever SMART goal they come up with, making sure they remember that goal. So that could be one liner there too. It's, okay, this week you're gonna go to the gym twice a week, use the elliptical machine for 20 minutes. So that one liner would be something probably related to their, their SMART goal. All right, so let's talk about the action phase now. So there's the, the beginning where you elicit change and then the action phase. Mm -hmm. And I can speak for myself, at least in terms of weight loss goals, staying on track and maintenance during an action phase can be difficult for mm -hmm. people in general, um, of course, with other goals too. So what have you found are some of the best ways for maintenance um, while in the action phase? So when talking about the stages of change, when they're in the action, so they're they're usually in the first like six months, um, and maintenance, they're they're coasting, they're pretty much going um, successfully along with their behavioral change. So especially with the action, what you want to do is really figure out some barriers, and um, be able to address those beforehand. You know, well, and this is you know what what if you know this happens like what could interfere what could be problems getting them to figure out well you know i could just be so tired at work that i don't want to once i get home i sit on the couch and i don't want to leave and then that's where you'd be like okay so how do we get you not to sit on the couch <laughs> so trying to really listen to what they think are the barriers coming up with them ahead of time and then having some plan to address them and having them come up with a plan to address them and the maintenance again relapses are almost inevitable during the maintenance time. So you want to make sure that if they do have a relapse, 
if they go on that vacation and they do a, a wine tour or something like that, how do we get them back on the wagon? How, how do we normalize relapses? And if they have a relapse, they don't just throw their hands up in the air, but instead they truly um, can get back on and they, they know that, hey, this is normal. That's okay. I went on vacation. I gained five pounds. It was fun. It was great. Now I'm back home and I'm going to start walking again. So um, again, trying to normalize so that for the maintenance, normalize relapses, keep, you know, coming up with different ideas to how to, you know, any barriers that might come up, but especially in the action, anticipating those barriers and planning ahead. I see. Okay. So, so normalizing it and expecting it is sounds like the best way to handle it. So when and it does happen, what to do when they yeah. come. <laughs> uh, okay. Gotcha. All right. Good. Um, you mentioned, uh, accountability uh in the uh talk um how do you what are your thoughts on that how do you kind of ensure or promote accountability to the plan that's developed uh in the beginning well there, there's different things and it, uh, of course it's going to depend on the provider and that relationship because a lot of times the providers might have a be sitting and meeting with that person one time and that's going to certainly be more difficult. So what you want to do in those situations is try to figure out what does their support system look like? Are there friends? Are there family that can help to keep them um, accountable? It's a lot easier when the people around us are supporting us and not hindering us. Because if your significant other is coming in and they're bringing the ding dongs, the chocolates, the, you know, all the bad foods in, it's going to be very difficult to resist those. But if they're there to support you through that, that's going to be much better. Um, so you certainly want to figure out if you are not able to be there to support them, how, what kind of system is in place? I know that me and my colleague, we also run groups. Um, and what I really think is cool about those groups is they can support each other. Yes, we as the providers are there to support them, to quote unquote, hold them accountable, but it, it is even more powerful when you have that system in place through the, the group. So these are other people who are also struggling so it also normalizes the struggle so they don't just throw their hands up in the air and say, I'm done, but they can see how other people also overcome it. And the fact that they have to show up week and week um, and report how they're doing certainly motivates them to make some changes too. And then individually, if you are given the opportunity to follow up with the patient, you can help and, and accountable. We want to make sure that I'm stressing that this is based on what they want. We also have to support them if they decide that they are not ready to make a change. We have to kind of go with that and and use MI maybe to help them, maybe when they're ready, come up with a change. But our goal and MI is not to force a change upon them. So with holding them accountable, we want to make sure that we are going with them along this and we're not taking the expert role and telling them, well, you should have done this. And you know, we want to make sure that rapport, that trust relationship is being built up and they aren't afraid to tell us that they had slips or they didn't complete their homework. So it's a very delicate line that you have to um, balance. I see. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Uh, I can certainly understand that uh, social accountability from group sessions can be very powerful, especially uh, when, you know, members of the group session are, uh, uh, can relate to one another's struggle. Sure. Um, so I know that uh, this is not a one-time session. You know, when somebody comes to see you, it's not a one-time thing. They uh, it's they have to work on work on things and come back to see you. Um, so, what type of homework do you give 
the patients you see to do on their own time? Uh, and then how do you address uh, progress uh, or lack of progress during the follow-up visits? So um, this is a little bit different because it's not a psychotherapy tech, you know, technique itself. So if I'm doing something different with a patient, like if I'm doing cognitive behavioral therapy, I often will assign my own homework assignment. So I, you know, this is a thought record that I want you to complete over the next week. Motivational interviewing is different. So usually we kind of lean heavily on those other exercises. So if, you know, the, maybe we can do the decisional balance and partly in session and they can go home and add to it. So that, that quadrant about the pros and cons of behavioral change, they might take that home and fill it out. But the biggest part is if we do get to the planning, the planning, we don't want to rush it, but if we do get to the planning stage of motivational interviewing, those SMART goals, that's going to be the big homework. So they're going to come up with their own homework. Um, and I think this is a lot more powerful too when they come up with it themselves as opposed to me telling them what to do. So I might walk them through how to come up with a SMART goal, but they're the ones that's determining what it is. So they might want to increase their water intake. They might want to increase their steps. They might every hour just want to stand up and walk around. Whatever it is, if they're stuck, I might give them kind of a menu of options, you know, and there's this very delicate way of doing that. I say, well, you know, some of my patients have done X, Y, and Z. Would any of those interest you? Um, of course, you want to ask permission before you do that. So the cool thing about MI is they're coming up with their own homework assignments, and you're just kind of there to guide and support them through that. All right. And uh, when uh, when do you reformulate the SMART goals? At what point through um, sessions do you reformulate them? So the SMART goals, um, typically for me, and everyone's different, so I usually have the luxury of follow-up visits with patients, so I can reformulate those. And typically they, cha they can change week from week, or they can even remain the same. So oftentimes the patient's like, I'm going to do this again this week. I went to the gym three times. And that's the exact same SMART goal that I'm going to have this week. Sometimes they get into the maintenance, maybe with, okay, I'm exercising. Now it's time to work on the nutrition. So I'm going to start doing SMART goals with the nutrition. They kind of add and it accumulates to more and more different smaller pieces to help them achieve their overarching goal of becoming healthier. Um, so again, it depends on the patient. Um, but sometimes it is the same goal time week after week after week. And they're okay with that. And then sometimes we do kind of shift and change and add, um, especially if the, the first goal becomes second nature and they've mastered it um, and it's no longer a goal, just part of their life. And then we add to it. So it really depends where they are. We kind of meet them where they are. I was wondering if you would be open to um, a mock uh, session. I can sure. play the patient so our listeners can see this technique in action. Sure. Yeah? Yeah, All let's right. do it. Okay, um, Dr. Powers James, I am here uh, before you because I want to change my behavior and be healthier and mm -hmm. exercise more and lose weight. Residency is hard, and uh, all I want to do when I come home is watch Netflix. And I know exercise is good for my health, it's good for my body, and it will give me more energy, which I have none. So my goal is to lose 20 pounds this next week. Wow. So there's a lot going on here. Uh, I know that residency is certainly difficult. I'm hearing that that's certainly a hindrance. And then when you get home, all you want to do is watch Netflix. You know, on one hand, you're exhausted. You want your, your me time, if you will. 
Uh, but the other hand, you really understand that your health's important. Am I hearing you correctly? Yes, yes, I know it's important. I, I know it is important, yes. Uh, but I just don't have the energy to uh, to change. You don't have the energy to change. So right now is just not a good time to do any exercise. Well, now, now is a good time because I, I want to change. Um, huh. Yeah. So but, now is a good time to do some changes. Yes, it is. Hmm. How might you do that? Any ideas? Because I mean, you sound like you're, it's, it's really exhausting. There's a lot on your plate and Netflix is pretty tempting. Um, so yeah, working out more and eating, eating better, but, uh, there's no, there's no motivation there. There's no motivation. So it sounds like your health though is very important to you. Why is your health important to you? Oh, I want to take better care of myself. I want to, you know, live a full life, be able to take care of my patients, do the things I want to do. That's why it's important. So I'm seeing a little bit of a, a distance here that it's really important to you to be able to be as healthy, not just for yourself, but also for your patients. Yes. Yeah. So is there anything that you could think of that you could perhaps do that could fit into this busy schedule you have? Yeah, I could, uh, I could go for a walk in the morning or, um, do the elliptical for 20 minutes, a couple times a week. Yeah. And I also hear that you, I mean, you had a, a pretty big goal there, 20 pounds in a week. 20 pounds. <laughs> I'm going to do it. 20 pounds in one week. Yep. <laughs> I'm ready. Let's kind of like take that, you know, let's take a step back there. I mean, okay. What if you, so, you know, 20 pounds is certainly a, a big goal there, but it does sound like you do want to lose weight because it, why the, the weight is what is linked to you feeling healthier. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's, uh, mm -hmm. okay. Um, so what would you need to do to be able to lose? Or have you ever lost any weight in the past? I have, yes, I have lost weight in the past. Um, How have you done that? Through months of dieting and exercise. Months? Months. So not a week? Not a week. Okay, but you were able to be really successful at weight loss in the past by changing what you ate and exercise. I just don't want to wait that long now. <laughs> so that's great that you've had success in the past. And I know it's really difficult because we want to see those immediate results if we're going to put this effort in. What do you think, especially, you know, you're a resident, what do you think could be a, um, a goal that you might have to work on over the next week that you think is actually attainable? Any thoughts? Better food choices. Okay. And, so uh, let's start with that one. Better food okay. choices. So we want something and thinking about those smart goals again. So then something that is specific, measurable, mm -hmm. attainable, relevant, and time sensitive. What do you think with healthy eating? What might that look like? Uh, just more vegetables, fruits, uh, more vegetables of, and fruits. Less of this, less of the stuff that uh, is a comfort food for a lot of people, including myself. Yes. So or trying to focus on fruits and vegetables. How many sure. servings do you think you could do of fruits and vegetables a day? The recommended amount is two. We can do two. We can do so two. So two fruits or vegetables per day. Uh-huh. Do you think you could work on this over the next week? Yes. Okay. So one of the things, and 
even though it's certainly a big goal for 20 pounds. So I, I think that you're kind of smiling here. So I think, you know, that might not be. Um, and it, of course, I, do you mind if I give you a little bit of information about? Please do. Please do. Uh, what the research shows, and I don't know if this is helpful for you, um, but we want to target one to two pounds per week. Um, there, there's certainly, if you're losing 20 pounds per week, there's probably a lot going on there that we probably don't want you to do, and it's going to actually hinder your health. Um, what are your thoughts about one to two pounds a week? I like it. I like it. Sign me up. <laughs> okay. So another thing that I heard you say that I could see as a potential barrier is certainly that you get home from work, you've had a long day, you've been seeing patients, you're exhausted and you go to the couch and you sit down and you watch Netflix. And once you're there, you're not getting up. <laughs> Am I hearing you correctly? You are. Yes. So what might you do instead? Is there anything you can think of that you could do? Go go for a walk after okay. after work instead of coming home and sitting on the couch. So instead of sitting on the couch, you could go for a walk. So you don't even let your butt touch the couch. <laughs> you go for a walk. Yeah, this is uh this is a very helpful exercise, Dr. Powers James. Thank you for that. It was very helpful to see the technique in action, and to see how um, force uh, the the thought process to go uh, on in, in my head and in patients' heads and to come up with specific examples and uh, small attainable goals. Uh, I do see the, the relevance and the power in this technique. It's very, very interesting. I know and of course, it's a very short abbreviated one and we kind of raced through a lot of the skills. We did, we did. Uh, it was just hopefully a... in, in real life, the provider yeah. can kind of take their time. Sure. While doing this, it was just a short, short mock session so the <laughs> listeners could hear uh, hear the technique in action. I know you have a patient to see. Thank you very much for your time. Oh, my pleasure. We really appreciate it, and thank you so much for your very interesting grand rounds talk. Thank you. All right, Dr. Powers James. Thank you very much. Have a wonderful day. I would like to make it clear that we make every effort to broadcast correct information. We will double check facts and assertions, but we do ask our listeners to realize that medicine is a constantly changing science and an art. One physician may have an entirely different way of doing things from another, and any views expressed are solely those of the person expressing them. We welcome any comments, suggestions, and correction of errors. We do not accept any money, services, or sponsorship otherwise from pharmaceutical, supplement, or device companies. By listening to this podcast or reading this blog, you agree not to use this podcast or blog as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others, including but not limited to patients that you may be treating. Consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the podcast or blog. Under no circumstances shall McGovern Medical School, any guests or contributors to the podcast or blog, or any employees, associates, or affiliates of UT Health be held responsible for damages arising from use of this podcast or blog. We are here to stimulate the dialogue. 
We are here to get the wheels spinning. We are here to spark new questions in the field of medicine. Thank you for listening.